Been one of those furious people. Say, yeah. what are you saying yarn for? You want to be American? <laughs> well, I'm, it's not that. It's just that it's actually a handy word to delineate a certain product. What is the distinction between yarn and wool? Wool's made from the sheep stuff, and yarn is acrylic or polyester. Oh, okay then. Yeah. So you see, this podcast is educational as well as insipid and vapid. Well, there's our first T-shirt. <laughs> All right, episode ten. Episode 10 of Pods in, in the Key of Springfield, the <clears throat> podcast about The Simpsons. Our podcast. Yeah. I think this is the um the first recording we've done since we actually released something. So as yeah. of right now, the first episode is out there and the response has been whelming <laughs> in that it has been neither over nor Not underwhelming. Under. It has been whelming. That's Which means a handful like of people have listened and they all seemed to like it, or at least were polite enough to say that they liked it. Yeah. So if you're not polite enough to say that you like it, maybe don't get in touch with us. Yeah, because, uh, you know, we're probably not going to change that much. No, and also we're both very fragile. Yeah. Like, quite genuinely, actually, I am quite <laughs> fragile. <laughs> True. So what did we watch tonight? Uh, we watched the first Treehouse of Horror. Yes. And we watched Two Cars in Every Garage and Three Eyes on Every Fish. It's episodes three and four of season two. Of The Simpsons. Of The Simpsons. So what really struck me tonight, and this should not be a surprise because... Because uh, it was a bolt of lightning and that's why all your clothes are black and there's smoke trailing out of your head. You were struck by a bolt of lightning. Yeah, sure. Um, sure. The roof didn't work. That's good enough to leave in, though. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> Hello thing that really to James hit me, at the editing desk. <laughs> the thing that really hit me, and again, this should not be a surprise because I've watched The Simpsons many, many times in my life. I love it deeply. But still, I found a lot of the notes that I took tonight just said, this is really fucking good. This is great stuff. I'm enjoying this a lot. Yeah. And yeah. maybe that's just because season one, you know, we've always known season one is... Not as good mm-hmm. as Troublesome. what comes after it. So the um the typical sort of uh, thought process on The Simpsons is that seasons two to I want to say eight are the really great seasons. Sure, and uh, still the jump between one and two is really pronounced when we're watching it this slowly and we're taking notes and mm. we're looking for interesting things. Mm. It's fucking massive. Season two is night and day. I'm not sure which is better. Which is better, night or day? Um, uh, look, each one has their own specific charms. Yes. Day, you're less likely to get stabbed. Night, you're more likely to get away with stabbing someone. Do you have the statistics to back this up? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't expecting. I didn't realize I'd have to show my... So- I, I wasn't expecting you to slap a citation needed sticker on me. Nick, have you been stabbing people? Not. No, okay. no, I haven't been stabbing anyone. Okay, you just want to not oh, riff on this. You want to clarify for legal purposes yeah, that you have not been stabbing people. Yeah, I mean, I tried to make a joke. I tried to make like a silver lining in every cloud kind of situation, you know. Well, you and had I a went, stab at it. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so, Treehouse of Horror. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> podcasting is concluded. <laughs> that was the end of podcasting as we know it. Treehouse of Horror, the first episode we looked at, this is the first of what would now be 27 of these fucking things, I guess. I, I can't dispute that. They keep doing a new one every year. Uh, this time, we open with Marge walking out onto a stage and doing a little introduction, warning us that tonight's episode is very scary. Very scary. And if we have any kids with, you know, weak little hearts, send mm-hmm. them to bed. They or would we, be up for this. Yeah. Yeah, which my first thought when watching that was, uh, it seems now, with our cynical 2017 brains, it seems incredibly earnest. Was it a a piss take then? 
I think in this very first uh, Treehouse of Horror, it was actually genuine, on mm. my understanding. You know how I feel about people being genuine? Yeah. Or genuine, your least favorite rapper. Genuine's Jump a rapper, it, isn't he? Let's do yeah. it. Ride my pony. You're doing, like, the little dance as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I was. I was doing the little dance. <laughs> but my understanding is... Little treat there for anyone that's a video subscriber. Yeah. We don't. We don't have a video element to this podcast. I mean, we are videoing them so that we can watch them back and mostly, have a little chuckle. Mostly so I can review my dances. So, Marge does her intro, and this one's very sincere. My understanding, having listened to the audio commentary on this episode mm. some 15 years ago and somehow still remembering fragments of it, <laughs> is that they uh, did this sincerely thinking there was actually a chance people would be scared which is why we've been putting those disclaimers at the front of our episodes. We have been doing that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they've all been going up. Yeah, I mean, I haven't been listening back, but I'm sure that's the case. And I've recorded every single one of them on a stage in front of a red curtain in a spotlight for some reason. Yep, just like the scene in Mulholland Drive at Club Silencio. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. If you haven't watched Mulholland Drive, very good movie. Uh, so... Yep, that happens. Didn't Elvis live on Mulholland Drive? He might have. I don't know. Is that a, is it a movie about Elvis? Is it a mo- Mulholland Drive? Is I mean, Mulholland Drive is a movie about many things. <laughs> Elvis okay. may be one of them. Okay, Sorry. it's it's honestly hard to say. Right. Okay. What Mulholland Drive is about? It's about the artifice of Hollywood in some ways. It's huh. about uh. I'm not going to get into Mulholland Drive too much because I could talk about Mulholland Drive. Should we talk about Mulholland Drive? Well, I, I guess but, I want to know, is Marge's thing, is that is that actually a Mulholland Drive reference or were you just drawing similarities of, of staging? Well, Mulholland Drive came out in 2001, so it's unlikely. I, I can see that that would create some difficulties. Anyway, we get into the episode. Sure. Uh, we get the pan over the uh, graveyard, mm-hmm. and we see that both in this universe, both Garfield and Paul McCartney are dead, which yes. is very interesting. Paul McCartney will pop up in a later episode, so mm. who knows what that's about. Yeah, that's interesting. And as we know, all stories in here are canon. They are part of the universe. This is definitely all happening. Definitely all happening. I mean, that seems fair to say, right? I uh, Yes. Yeah. So... Should we move through section by section? Because I'm looking and uh, we've already gone on for about 20 minutes, I feel. Yeah, I think on. we should go through section by section. So the first section, Bad Dream House, which is basically the movie Poltergeist, but without a haunted TV, oh. which was kind of the main thing about Poltergeist, but that's fine. That's the one with the, the Japanese girl with the long black hair that comes out of the screen. Uh, no, you are thinking of... Nightmare on Elm Street with the guy in the dreams. You're just expressing it very poorly. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's awkward. And I apologize. As you should. But yeah, Poltergeist is the one where the family buys a house and later finds out it is built on what they call an ancient Indian burial ground, what Mm -hmm. we would now call a Native American burial ground, Mm -hmm. because we are doing the absolute bare minimum (laughs) that is now expected of everyone who isn't a complete piece of shit. Yes. So, I mean, you know, different time, different... I don't know, was that something people thought about when this episode came out? I don't know. And, you know, there's a lot of the the names on the the tombstones of the burial ground. You know, there's Crazy Horse and then there's Not So Crazy Horse. I'm like, oh... I uh, is, is, I don't know where the line was in 1991. <laughs> I don't know where the line is now. Yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit there, Sorry. but that is interesting because they, when when they go into the basement and they see the tombstones, having a look, as far as I could tell, Not So Crazy Horse was the only one that was a joke. The rest uh, were just names of famous Native Americans from sure, history. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. Which is strange that they were all buried in this one spot underneath this haunted house. But, I uh, mean... That's that's geographically amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, as we know, this episode is based on hard facts and evidence of yeah. actual house hauntings, which definitely do happen and are real. And that movie you mentioned before, Poultry Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> About the dead chicken. Poultry Ghost, yeah. Poultry Ghost. It was that's the, what you said, wasn't it? It was the sequel to uh, Chicken Run. <laughs> thrust! You need more Thrust! Oh, he's fucking dead. <laughs> is that a line from the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, when they're trying to get over the Verbatim? fence. Verbatim? It is. 
I can, I'll pull it up and play it into the mic if you don't believe me. <laughs> want to fight about it? So this this episode is about an evil house. Well, this section of the episode is about an evil yeah. house. Yeah. So Nick, have you ever lived in an evil house? Is the house we're in right now evil? No, this house is not very evil. Um, uh, have I lived in any evil houses? See, it's hard to say because I tend to be immune to things like ghosts because I don't think they're a thing. And because you bought that uh, ghost immunity juice that well, you drink every morning. To be fair, since I started drinking the immunity juice, I've not had a sin- single interaction with a ghost. Yeah. So, Which to me is hard proof. Ipso facto. Yeah. No more ghosto. <laughs> is I believe their slogan. <laughs> Ah, that's that's good. <laughs> but uh, yep, they move into this evil house, or I mean, sometimes the house is evil. Sometimes the house is just uh, capable of accessing alternate dimensions. It's hard to get a good grasp of exactly what this house's deal is. I'll tell you what's interesting, though. I'm glad you mentioned the vortex into the alternate dimensions. Yeah, maybe this is you know my my uh, alternate universe time travel theory, Ooh. where. Two versions of Krabappel, old old Krabappel and young Krabappel, and old Burns and young Burns. Yeah. Uh, so for anyone that hasn't heard my theory so far, there is uh, a young school psychiatrist and Mr. Burns, who I believe are the same people, same person. There is the teacher of the special school that Bart goes to in season one episode, Bart the Genius, and Edna Krabappel, who I think are the same person. And there's a couple of others. The one that's going to come along in segment two... But I wonder if the, this house, this evil house with a vortex, maybe that is the point in which these these timelines are being crossed. Interesting. So mm. it's the, this specific house, well, if which that, has, if, of course, evidence of an alternate dimension that exists within this universe. If that's where and the, we know this to be canon, a thing that definitely happened, even though it is framed as Bart telling a story. It is framed as Bart telling a story. But that's fine. Yeah. Um, because, well, I think this house is the... If this house is the nexus for the Vortex, then it is the nexus for my entire alternate universe time travel theory, which I need a better name for. I listened back to one of the old episodes, and at one point I described it as, like, I said that time was a flat omelette and that this time travel theory was me folding the omelette in half. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to riff on a name. I'm going to keep coming up with better names for it. All right, so what if we, uh, what's a good name for this? Like uh, Dr. Nick's softball theory? So, <laughs> that's softball. how you cook an omelet, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly how you cook an omelet. Well, I mean, we can make it basically egg-based. Yeah. We could say it's my sunny-side-up galaxy theory. Sure, you're a universal hatching. My universal hatching? Yeah. Eggs hatch, don't they? Yeah, I just wasn't expecting you to go down the pre-culinary kind of egg situation. I mean, eggs can be multiple things. Man, how long have we been cooped up in here trying to think of this name? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. We do like to have fun, but there's a serious side to this as well, because the Simpsons family all try to murder themselves, or each each other, in this episode. And uh, in the in the scene where they're all prancing around the room, holding knives, looking mm. to stab each other, I started to think, what did what would Doctor Marvin Monroe make of this? Do you think? Do you mean <clears throat> Doctor Marvin Monroe? Uh, yes, that is who I meant, Nick. Well, knowing him, he'd probably think this was a, a valid form of therapy. Yeah, I, think I mean, he, he would have he would have looked at the electrocution and the foam pads, and then the the the, the metal rods within the foam pads, and gone knives. Of course, why didn't I think of that? When you do these brief, brief Marvin Monroe voices, you get a sense of why they cut the character out of the show entirely. <laughs> yeah, it, it hurts. <laughs> I already had a sore throat this morning, so... I definitely do think Marvin Monroe would encourage Homer to stab his children, if it came down to it. Yeah, but it would be through the lens of, like, you know, think about why you're stabbing your children. And he's he's all Jack Nicholson in The Shining in that scene, which is a whole thing that's probably not worth getting into because we're already already going over time. I think in this the yeah. first third of the first episode. <laughs> oh, but there's one thing that I can't leave. Yep. So when um, 
of course, you remember, because we watched it 20 minutes ago, that when uh, things start going badly and they find out about the, the Native American burial ground, uh, Homer calls the real estate agent. And by the way, it's clear that they all got out of bed at some point to go dance around the room with the knives. Yes. So we're looking at, what, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning? Oh, yeah, and, at least. And Homer got straight through to the real estate agent and... The phone call starts with Homer saying the real estate agent's name, which is Mr. Plute. Mr. Plute. Have you got any notes about Mr. Plute? Uh, well, the note I have on the page simply says, Mr. Plute, Nick very excited. I was. I do have a thought, though. I've got a thought as well. We never find out Mr. Plute's first name. Normwatch. Normwatch. Were you going down a Normwatch route? Oh, I was going down I've a got norm- written here, Normwatch, question mark. Because I think... Norman, Norman Plute. Norman Plute is a lovely name. That is a completely viable name as a real estate agent. And, you know, I mean... For those just joining episode 10 for whatever reason, uh, Norman in the very first episode, Homer greets during the yes. little whatever play they're going to at the start. Elementary school play. And then Norman disappears from the show and... Uh, Nick is very suspicious about Norman and the influence he may have over events following this or just his background I, I existence. Just, I just want to keep an eye out for him. I just want to know where my local norm is at all times. And so far, I think that Mr. Plute, Mr. Norman Plute, is the most um, viable norm sighting in my 10th installment of Normwatch. You know what, I think you might be onto something. I think we should definitely be on the lookout for a Norman Plute in future episodes. In in real estate. Yes. Yeah. So when is that real estate episode? Like season nine, I want to say? Yeah, when, yeah, yeah. My, so if Norman Plute pops time. up in, I don't know, like four years' time, when we get up to that episode, <laughs> we have to pay attention to that. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, the house eventually kills itself because it doesn't want to live with the Simpsons mm-hmm. after Marge inexplicably insists that they continue to live there, even though she's been fighting the whole segment for them to leave. Mm. Which is odd, but, uh, you know, whatever. That's fine. Lisa makes some pithy remark. Mm. And we get to the next section, Hungry Are the Damned. Yes. Which I'm pretty sure was a Twilight Zone episode and then became an episode of The Simpsons, essentially. Sure. This one is about alien abduction. So, of course, my question is, Nick, have you ever been abducted by aliens? No. No? I, I know a song about it. Okay. Is it I Ran So Far Away? Oh, no. Because if, that's, that song is about alien abduction, apparently. It's from a... Oh. Apparently that whole album was a concept album about alien abduction. Right. Or so I was told nine years ago by a man that I consider relatively trustworthy on these things. <laughs> so I'm only just now realizing how spurious my uh, my referencing is. It wasn't Scott, was for it? That, it was not Scott. Okay, good. It was a man named Daniel. Not the Daniel you're thinking of. No, different Daniel, Daniel. Different Daniel. Yeah. Okay. Um, no, no, I haven't been abducted by aliens. Um, okay. Partly because I'm immune to them. Because uh, I don't believe in them. Oh, is this because of that? Um, what what was the thing we established that you have earlier? Some sort of ghost powder. I've already forgotten our own roof. <laughs> oh, that bodes well. But um, some aliens show up. They abduct the Simpsons, and they seem like they want to eat them, but they don't want to eat them. That's basically it. Yeah, and that's a premise that gets stretched out for like. Eight minutes. And it's pretty good. It's pretty good. No, yeah. it's, sorry. I didn't mean that to sound yeah. diminishing in any way. It's good. Yeah. Um, also, <clears throat> step in to the sunny shores of Nick's sunny side up galaxy alternate time travel theory. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, we've got a musical sting now, do we? Uh, that was, I mean, that's the noise of an elevator opening. <laughs> but yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I guess it could also be a musical sting. Sure. Well, you know. Get ready, because see this, see this omelette that is time. I'm about to flip it and create an alternate parallel crossover delicious universe. Bit of bacon in there that's gonna be it's gonna be great. How about some chorizo? Yeah. Oh yes, we can yeah. do some chorizo. Yeah. Sick. But this is the first interspecies version of my egg flip. No, that's a drink. <laughs> uh time travel thing. Um your uh, egg flip, no, that's a drink time travel thing. Yes. 
Yes. So Kang and Kodos. Yep. Alternate Skinner and alternate Sideshow Bob. Okay. Similarities in the voices. Okay. Now, some people would say, well, Nick, they've only got a limited number of voice actors. It's probably just those voice actors doing those voices. I disagree. Yep. I disagree entirely. That is not what this theory is based on. This theory is based on traits. This theory is based on appearances. This theory is based largely on voices sounding similar. And I think Kang and Kodos are Principal Skinner, Sideshow Bob, from an alternate universe. Timelines have crossed. They exist in our universe. Here they are. Okay. Would you say that either of them have big shoes to fill? Big shoes to fill. Um, big shoes to fill, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, they've got like eight shoes to fill because they're all they're tentacled octopusy style creatures in this. Kang and Kodos are good designs. I really like the designs on these two. I'd sort of forgotten that this is a neat bit of alien design. Tentacles, bell yeah. jar, yep. one big eye. Constantly drooling. Constantly drooling. As you know, I really relate to that because... Mm. As you can see, I've left a large stain on your couch, and I would prefer for you to think of that as drool. I, oh, Jesus Christ, I do, I do put drop sheets down wherever you go. <laughs> so anyway, in this episode, uh, Lisa discovers a cookbook. It says, "What does it say at first? How to cook humans?" Yeah. Then they blow up some space dust and it says, "How to cook four humans." Mm-hmm. And then how to cook forty humans, and yes. then how to cook four forty humans. Yes. Again, remembering the audio commentary from this episode, which I listened to approximately 25 years ago, Mm -hmm. they mentioned that originally the joke was going to be, they blow off even more dust, and it said how to cook for 40 humans and then eat them, which would certainly make a lot more sense than what happens in this episode. Yeah. Because even the creators acknowledge that it doesn't really make sense that they were not only clearly fattening them up, but, like, weighing them and getting really excited about Homer being overweight Mm. throughout the episode. And then uh, they very much upset Serok, the preparer, my Mm -hmm. favorite character, I think. Yes. uh, By the way, there's another scene in this episode that I forgot to mention earlier, but whatever, where... They ask the alien, one of the aliens, what their name is. And he says, to pronounce it correctly, I would have to pull out your tongue. Mm-hmm. Which bothers me because the aliens very clearly have tongues. Well, that's an interesting point. Yeah. But do they have tongues that are somehow differently shaped to our tongues? Well, my understanding from that one time when I was abducted and I seduced and made out with the, um, the captain of the ship. Serok. Yes, is that aliens do have regular human tongues, and they are adventurous, and they <laughs> they like to poke around a lot. Oh god! And um, they're just very into tongue play in general, and it is very similar to a human tongue. I can say that from my experience with the aliens. The last portion of this episode—I don't know where you want me to go from there. <laughs> the Raven, quote yeah. the Raven. Yes, yes. Never more. Never more. Now, this is one that I almost feel like I'm going to have a hard time, you know, making with the funnies because all of my notes, like, here are some of my notes for this one. Dan Castellaneta fucking rules. Yes. James L. Jones is good. The Raven is good. I wish they did this every year because it fucking rules. These are my <laughs> first four notes on this segment. I really fucking like this. No, it is. Just completely unironically and just think it's beautiful and awesome. Totally. And uh, it's all canon, so I wonder where it fits within the world of The Simpsons. When did this happen? What? When was Homer married to a woman, woman named Lenore who looked identical to Marge? It's a very good and question. And then died. It's a very good question. When was Bart a bird? Well, it must be through the vortex, because actually... The vortex! Because Homer is in, his chamber is in a very grand stately home, quite similar to the home from the first segment. It must be timelines crossing over through the vortex again, and we are seeing Homer, married to Marge, kids and family, and then in the same universe, with the flip of the omelette, Bit of a sound effect there for anyone playing along at home. <clears throat> that wasn't an omelette, it was my hands. And I didn't flip my hands, I clapped them. But with the flip, there is then Widow Homer, 
widowed from Lenore. That's not yeah. the correct verb for that, but that's fine. Uh, widow after deceased Lenore died. And then, uh, you know, Bart's a little bird. So is the implication here that Edgar Allan Poe crossed through this vortex into the other dimension way back when, whenever he was around, and then he came back through into our world and wrote the stories that he had witnessed within the other dimension, and now part of our understanding of this other dimension comes mm. through the, the writing of Edgar Allan Poe. He wrote this, he wrote I about can, that heart that kept beating and that pendulum in that pit. I can only say yes to all of those suppositions. Um, <clears throat> question about the Raven, because yep. you, you know the literary work better than I do. Sure. Does the, the Raven by Edgar Allan Poe contain a sick choreographed fight scene? Well, I mean, most great literature works do have a section where a large man has to fight a little boy See, I never presented in the form of a bird. I never found that with Robert Frost. It's one of the reasons I don't like Robert Frost. And that has made all the difference. That's, that's how that poem ends, the one about the, the two roads. Oh. Well, the only Robert, the only Robert Frost poem I remember is well, actually no, I remember studying like three Robert Frost poems, and they were all about snow. And I was like, "We get it, dude. We get it." Nick, are you just thinking about Frosty the Snowman? Yeah. Are you confusing Jack Frost with Robert Frost? Yeah, Robert Frosty the Snowman. That's a thing, right? And he makes those ice creams, the Frosty Fruits. And he has many good, uh, many miles to go before he sleeps. Yeah. Yeah. Are you thinking about the movie Frozen as well? Mate, I'm always thinking about the movie Frozen. What was the name of the snowman in that, Robert? Oh, my God. This is another omelette egg flip moment. <laughs> no, it was Olaf, and don't you dare get Frozen facts wrong again. So, um, one thing that I really like about this episode is that <laughs> even though it's spooky... Nobody dies. We don't go into any sort of death dream stage. Refreshing. <laughs> has that been has that been a nine episode run up to that conclusion? <laughs> was that was that your super long play? Um, of of to, to get to there because if it was, well done, sir. <laughs> it only took you nine months. Are you telling me I should drop that that whole theory after this episode? I think that makes most sense for the timeline. <laughs> you can keep whatever theories you want. Uh, I suppose we should move on to the next episode. Two cars in every garage and three eyes on every fish. Yep, a long and complicated name for an episode that is terrifyingly relevant <laughs> to the oh, modern day. Yeah. Well, I mean, the bit that caught me is most relevant. This is out of order, but I think it's interesting because you mentioned the relevance. Is that as a joke... They have Burns doing a... There's a very short little clip of Burns doing a press stunt featuring a tank. And today, Malcolm Turnbull, the Australian Prime Minister, did a press briefing in front of a tank surrounded by guns. Yes. Like... <laughs> Fuck. What? What, 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 what? Jokes from <laughs> 20 years ago and now things that are happening in politics. And that's just in Australia. Yeah. Have you seen what's happening in America? No, what's happening in America? Oh, everything's mostly fine. Oh, okay. Thank God. Yeah, no, thank Obama. Thank, thank yeah, okay, thanks. thanks. Thanks, Obama. Yeah. So, um, I feel like we probably have quite a bit to say about this episode. Stacks. My first note on this one just says, season two is so good, what the fuck? So, that <laughs> sets the pace. I thought this was a really fucking great episode that yeah. I have a lot to say about. Start of, Start off. We get the chalkboard gag yeah. where Bart has written, I will not Xerox my butt. Sure. Which I'm going to use to um, segue into asking about these patterns you have printed on your walls in the house we're currently in. Because I have, um, I have been wondering, it just seems like this is a good time to ask about well, all I of mean, these prints on your walls because they have <laughs> struck me as odd. You know how there's that... Um that famous cafe in New York where they have pictures of famous people up on the walls and the famous people sign them, the, yep. the black and white photos. 
I forget the name of the cafe, but it's like, you know, Rubens or something. These are the prints of my guests. Okay. I mean, there's about six photos of my ass on the wall. Yeah. 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 And I I don't know when you took them or how they got there. Well, what I'd like to point out is that I did not Xerox them because I don't believe in what I call proper verbs. I photocopied them. Oh, okay. I mean, that makes it better then. No one's with me on the proper verbs thing. I've tried to get, I've literally tried to get that going for six or seven years now. <laughs> You've tried to get it going? Yeah, yeah. In what context? I, I have a friend who is a linguist and I've said to her, hey, can we get the phrase proper verbs going for when, you know, like a proper noun is a noun that takes a capital. Yeah. Why not proper verbs? And the first one that I thought was a proper verb was the Facebook capital L like if you like something. Um, and then I said to a, a linguistics community that I found on Twitter, hey, is this a thing? And they all came back saying, oh, but what about Xerox and FedEx and this, that, and the other? And I'm like, no, no, but those are all nouns that you're using as verbs. That's another thing that I don't like. Yeah. Anyway, this is going nowhere and it doesn't matter. <laughs> you brought this up as like a thing you're trying to get going while at the same time saying you don't believe in it. <laughs> yeah, it's complex. <laughs> it's real complex. So anyway, this episode, a uh, brief overview. Mr. Burns runs for governor after a three-eyed fish is discovered in a lake. They're trying to shut down the power plant, so to mm-hmm. avoid that, he decides to run for governor. He doesn't win, and yet somehow everything is fine at the end anyway, but mm. that's that's not anything. We'll, uh... Quick question. Yep. They were in the um, safety inspection of the nuclear power plant. There were 342 violations. Yep. The Simpsons live at 742 Evergreen Terrace. Yep. Is there a link there? 342, 742? Ooh. See, I've been watching a lot of Twin Peaks where numbers are very relevant and important. Sure. So what I'm thinking is that uh, when Mr. Burns visits the Black Lodge and... uh, (laughs) Is this a Twin Peaks thing now? Oh, it is. Oh, okay. <laughs> You've opened the floodgates now. Oh. You know what? Let's not go down there because I, everything I want to say would just spoil the new season of Twin Peaks for anyone who hasn't seen it. So Okay. Well, in that the, case, I'll, I'll wrench my head from out my hands. The opening scene of this episode, Bart and Lisa are fishing at a lake with sticks. Oh, yeah. I've got a few thoughts on this. First of all, they're there, a newscaster pulls up, gets out of his van, and comes to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Is this news? The two kids are fishing by the lake? The, the, the ridiculous thing is, he goes down and it's just like, oh, well, you know, I spent a lot of time out of town, and then they catch a fish. Where was he going with that conversation? I spent a yeah. lot of time out of town. That'd be real nice if someone had take me in and give me a nice place to sleep. Like, what was this guy's end game here for this 10 and 8-year-old? I mean, this really is just a mysterious man drives a van up to two children. He steps out. Says he's a reporter only as a cover for the several cameras that he's got strapped to his waist. Yep. I mean, this is probably a bad message for children. If a man gets out of a van and just says he's a reporter, even though he seems to be alone... And there's no other adults nearby. Don't trust this man. Certainly don't... uh, Don't discuss fishing tactics with him. Yeah, don't engage with him on any level. Certainly not on fishing levels. It does turn out he's a reporter, of course, and he uh, just happens to be there when a story breaks. Curiously, one that's about fishing. Yep. The uh, the other thing that I was thinking beyond... Maybe our advice needs to be revisited. (laughs) I don't know that it does. Oh, okay, sorry. (laughs) Beyond the... uh, Beyond the just weird framing of this with the guy just pulling up and talking to them, this seems very interesting to me because it's meant to be that the kids are fairly modern. Like Bart is saying, I'm Bart Simpson, who the hell are you? And the guy's saying, you know, in my day, we didn't talk Mm. to our elders that way. At the same time, now in the year 2017, this is an incredibly antiquated moment of these two kids just by a lake, just fishing with these sticks. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah, so it's this, uh, I guess now it just seems like a very weird mix of like that You know what that reminds me idea of? of modernity. Yeah, it reminds me of 
um, when you watch the the Looney Tunes cartoons from the fifties, like the original Bugs Bunny stuff, and seeing the nineteen fifties version idea of what the year two thousand and twenty will look like when they do like a space thing, yeah, like Marvin the Martian or um, Duck Dodgers in the twenty fourth and a half century, yeah, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, a nineteen fifties idea of the future looks old, yeah. And similarly, a 1991 version of the present looks old. Well, that's not as, that's not a, as <laughs> groundbreaking a theory as I thought it might have been. So I really love that in the movie Alien as well, which came out in 1979. And it said in the future now. So all the stuff they have is futuristic. They're flying around in spaceships and exploring other planets. But all of the technology on the spaceship looks incredibly outdated. Well, it's mostly calculators. Yeah, it's just a bunch of cats and calculators strapped together. What are cats there for? Because they're, they have cows, so they need to tape a bunch of cats together. Oh, sorry. I thought you meant that it's like they're on spaceships and they said, what are we going to put this calculator on? Why not strap it to a cat? Actually, one of the main now characters of calculator. the sequel is a cat whose name is Jones, I believe. What? Are you talking about Red Dwarf? Uh, I wasn't, but we can if you want. I don't remember much about Red Dwarf. And I've never seen it. But if you want to chat about da, da, it. Da, da, da. Anyway, um, in this episode, we get Mary Bailey and Mr. Burns both running for governor. Sure. Mary Bailey, who, for some reason, she has one line in this episode, and then she comes back in, like, season 15. Yeah, or so. There's a scene that she's in. I've forgotten most of the details. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, again, I remember them talking about that on the audio commentary for this episode. On this specific episode of the podcast, I remember a lot of details from audio commentaries I listened to a long time ago. This is the audio commentary episode. Yeah. Should we do... No, we shouldn't do one of those. Uh, so yeah, if, we get Mary Bailey. If the people want it, we'll do it for them. We No one's gonna want it. We get the most explicitly political episode of The Simpsons so far by a pretty wide margin here. We get the... Yes. We get Mr. Burns, the the tyrant, rich, uh, rich magnate who garners popularity largely by insulting his opponent mm. and uh, pushing for one or two issues that are not particularly well thought out. Mm-hmm. And then we get a uh, Mary Bailey, who seems well-meaning in a lot of ways, but is sort of toothless in her rhetoric. Mm. I mean, that doesn't remind me of any anything really, but, you know, maybe you have some thoughts on. Well, it's definitely nothing like the current political climate. Yeah, I mean, mm. no part of this reminded me of the um, 2016. No, wait a minute, it's the other way around. Everything about this reminded oh. me of the... I get those two confused sometimes, but mm. with everything instead of nothing. Yeah, that is confusing. Yeah, so there was a... Especially uh, when you went in for that surgery and they said, what do you want me to remove? And you said, everything. I mean, there Wait, are... That didn't make any sense. <laughs> Cut that When out. I went into the surgery and asked for everything to get removed. I don't know. I was aiming for that to be a funny juxtaposition, but why would you... <laughs> the, the logical juxtaposition for that is you, you were supposed to walk into a surgery and ask for nothing to be removed. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, so, my question sure. for you. Can't wait. After watching this episode. That one. Which one? Uh, two cars. Don't make me say it. Two <laughs> cars in every garage and three eyes in every fish. Do you think Mr. Burns could become president if he wanted to? I thought he already was oh, president. Okay. Of the United States of America. Huh. I mean, yeah, that is sort of the, uh, I mean, in the real world, certainly he is, but yes. in the cartoon world of The Simpsons. In the cartoon world, he could, as long as he doesn't eat any fish. I feel like Mr. Burns, if this episode was made today, would simply call the throughout fish fake news. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Instead, and this is fucking crazy, but Mr. Burns, the obviously Republican candidate, he bolsters his reputation by bringing in an imitation of Charles Darwin and saying that because of uh, evolution, that's yeah, this is which I thought was amazing. That's really good. <laughs> the fact that the obviously conservative candidate in this political race tries to back up his views by bringing in science. Well, I mean, it's very convenient to rely on science when it says what you want it to say. Yeah. 
getting or, it Darwinism or, or to when you people can, over. Or when you can bend it to say <laughs> what you want it to say. Um, speaking of that that um, political commercial where he has the, uh, you there, actor portraying Charles Darwin. Yep. Um, he refers to Blinky as a kind of superfish. Blinky being the three-eyed fish. Indeed. As a kind of superfish. Blinky Bill, yeah. I believe Ian Thorpe was called superfish. Is this oh. a story of Ian Thorpe? Is this the story of Ian Thorpe? Did Mr. Burns take a big mouthful of Ian Thorpe's flesh and spit it across a dining room? Are you saying that Ian Thorpe was maybe dipped in a pool of acid to gain his abilities? Real acid? <laughs> Are we alleging that Ian Thorpe is some sort of uh, superhero? Yes, I am. An Australian bloody superhero. Okay, good on you, Thorpey. We're... uh. I mean, I don't know that I'm a big fan, but I think you're pretty good at at what you do. Cheers, mate. Yeah, cheers. We'll uh, we'll crack a VB for you. At the start of this uh, political ad, uh, Mr. Burns is caught saying a bunch of weird shit about how much he hates everyone. Yeah. And that's on the tape and everyone sees it and, you know, they have taped evidence of what a piece of shit he is and the awful things he says when he doesn't know he's being recorded. Again. Ah. Again, no obvious links to anything that has actually happened. No, none at all. I mean, aside from that whole pussy grabbing thing with Trump. Yeah, in the but aside room. from that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's barely, barely a related example, though. Hmm. I mean, it is weird though how much of this episode has actually happened within the last year. Yeah, and look, you know, I know that. I'm just going to get cynical for a bit. I know that it's it can get quite tiresome to be a Simpsons fan and see the news articles like, oh, the Simpsons predicted the future, and then it's like, you know, the scene where the uh, school reunion has music being played from an iPod. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, that, that doesn't really count because, you know what, that was easily foreseeable at the time that it was drawn. That's why it was drawn. But in this episode, it is worth drilling down into the fact that the jokes that they have made come out, they're batting a hundred on these <laughs> jokes, turning out to be very closely yeah. related to real world events. Even the way Mary Bailey's campaign, we only see a little bit of it, but mostly be, seems to be centered on the idea that people will vote for her because they are intelligent rather mm. than actually presenting. Mm you know, a sort of a position that people can attach themselves to. Mm. It's just mostly, if you vote for that guy, you're an idiot, which we now know is not an effective way of winning an election. Apparently not. I like when Marge, when they're they're training up for the the dinner. Am I I jumping too far ahead here? No, by all means. When When they're training up for the dinner and Lisa has her epic question, which she reads out. Yep. Um, And then... The the coach says, no, 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 just stick with the question on the card. I like that Marge says, I think the non-card question is a valid one. Yeah. <laughs> and there's part of me that wants to get that printed on a shirt and then just go to a recording of Q&A <laughs> and just sit in a particularly visible spot with this big shirt that says, I think the non-card question is a valid one. And the question that Lisa asks is something about whether Mr. Burns is worried that his policies are going to destroy the environment and leave the world. Like a tattered shell. Once again, not at all familiar to current daily events. Yeah. I mean, except for the impending destruction of the Earth that seems to be happening. And the way that America's abandoning all the treaties and refuses to acknowledge the scientific fact that it's global warming and stuff like that. Yeah, and the way that giant uh, iceberg broke off in Antarctica the other day. Yeah. 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 We might be in real trouble. You and me will be fine. Yeah. We'll just sit here in our hole of butts. <laughs> uh, now I get it. <laughs> oh, it's a hole of butts. Oh, shit. Huh. Homer is an idiot in this episode, but doesn't quite grasp that he is being an idiot. Sure. Which is a... I feel like the show maybe lets him off the hook a little bit. I mean, in this episode, Homer and Marge are supporting different political factions, and Marge seems to have actually put some thought into why she supports Mary Bailey, Mm. whereas Homer is doing it out of uh, grim convenience more than anything else. Mr. Burns is his boss. He uh, thinks that he has to support him, and on some level, I guess he kind of does to maintain his job. Sure. 
I mean, there is a real tension there, which is interesting because I know in the lead up to the election and the aftermath of the last American election, I have read stories about like couples who have been together for a long time divorcing because of their different political beliefs and that sort of thing. It's been a... Did no one think of showing them this episode of The Simpsons to show that you can't actually get along? Yeah, don't you see? You can just uh, stay married to your idiot husband for (laughs) 26 more years. That's all you need to do. There's a scene in here where Homer and Marge are in bed, and Marge doesn't want to snuggle, Mm -hmm. which is the terminology for fucking, Mm -hmm. and she rolls right out of the bed, and Homer and Marge have a little conversation, and Homer says something along the lines of... uh, that Marge says that she doesn't feel like she can express herself properly in the house, and Mr. Sure. Burns is coming around for dinner and everything. And Homer says to Marge that she can express herself through her home and her cooking. Yes. Which is obviously a fucked thing for Homer to say. But something that I have somehow never clicked with while watching this episode until is, this viewing yeah. that I wrote a note is that when he says this, something clicks in Marge. The yeah. idea that she can express herself through her cooking yes, and then use it as this sort of uh, political tactic that I don't know how this has slipped me by. I guess because you know I used to watch this as a child and wasn't thinking that deeply and I'm just an idiot in general. Oh, I wouldn't go so far as the last bit. But fuck, that's clever. Just the, yeah, the way not, that it, Marge it, has this moment where she realizes, mm. that's right, I can cook Burns a meal that will lose him the election because... <clears throat> She mm. ends up cooking him that three-eyed fish. Yes. For anyone who inexplicably has not seen the episode and is now listening to us prattle on about it. She cooks Ian Thorpe. Yes. And uh, Mr. Burns, who brought Noodle Koodle Which, to the dinner. I'm just going to have a quick look to see if that's a real dish. Okay. Noodle Koodle. Is this a segment of oh my a... God. Nick's Googling? What have you got? What unrelated oh, Bible story have wait. you got this time? Noodle there's a thing coming up, Noodle Kugel. Is that what he says? K-U-G-E-L, Kugel. That might be it. I've always it's, heard Noodle Koodle. I've always heard Noodle Koodle too. It is it is a... Noodle Koodle do. Is there a rooster in the room? <laughs> Get the rooster out of the hole of butts. It is a... Um, it is a... It's like a Jewish lasagna made with macaroni, apparently. A Jewish lasagna. Oh, well, from what it says here, hang on. Uh, uh, Jewish noodle pudding, but pudding in the non-sweet sense of the word. Okay. Also, I was looking up anagrams for Mary Bailey. To see if- <laughs> Why? <laughs> You've been sitting on your phone for the last... Like ten minutes, I, looked, I was wondering what you were looking up. You were looking up anagrams of Mary Bailey. <laughs> to what end could you possibly <laughs> be looking up anagrams of Mary Bailey? Because I felt, I felt like there'd be something in it. Was there? <laughs> Amiably right. Amiably Rye, did you say? Amiably Rye. Amiably. R-Y-E, Rye. All right. I'm not sure where that took us. <laughs> Mary Bailey. You were so intent on your phone there. Mary Bailey just felt to me like two words that would have an, amigra- an anagram in them. I mean, I would so definitely, I if I was associating her with any kind of bread, it would not be Rye. It'd be no, plain white bread. It'd be plain white white bread. It'd be like a roll but, of like a tip top. Maybe if, not tip top. Maybe like Helga's at least. But if someone offered her rye, she would take it amiably. I mean, that's not proven in this episode. Maybe once we get up to the later episode she's in. Maybe. Some people will say, uh, rye, Miss Bailey? And she'll say, yes, I'll accept this uh, amiably. Do we need to start rye watch? <laughs> rye watch? <laughs> I don't know. At one point, Burns uses the phrase, "put," uh, and they can put that in their pipes and smoke it. Is that where I got that phrase from? 
I'm pretty sure that was an existing phrase, but that's also probably where you got it from. Yeah, because I'd like to know where that phrase came from, because this is another... Here's a segment we haven't touched on for a while, the ways in which The Simpsons has ruined my life. Hmm. I frequently use the phrase, put that in their pipes and smoke it. Actually, it's enriched my life now that I think about it. It's enriched your life? It's enriched it. How many pipe smokers do you know? Uh, Do the bubble pipes count? You know they do. Seven. Okay. Okay. One, Is that where you go one, on one guy, Thursday nights? One guy that smokes one of those blowing bubble pipes. Yeah. And six people who do ice. <laughs> okay. So Marge defeats Mr. Burns by cooking him the three-eyed fish, which Burns cannot stomach. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would be that easy to take down a real political demigorgon? Demigorgon? Demigorgon is the monster from Stranger Things. Well, I'll tell you exactly how you take down, in a culinary sense. Yes. Especially if they don't like blue cheese. You get some Demigorgonzola. Okay. And you take that Demigorgon right the fuck down. Oh, okay. Um, no, right, I'm I... just going to make a note of that, sorry. <laughs> Demigorgonzola. I'm actually scratching little notes on my page, but it wasn't making as much noise as I was hoping. I thought the mic would pick up on it. Uh, if I, I apologize. Demi Gorgon Zola. Very inefficient handwriting you've got there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Where's, where's this going? Would it be that easy to take down a political pundit's the wrong word? I mean, wouldn't that have been nice if any of the... Fucking thousands of roadblocks set up and had any effect at all. The, but Teflon Don just glided through them all. On any of the maniacs currently seizing the means of production around the world. Mm. 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 I mean, we tried to knock one of them out with onions, but turns out he just fucking loves biting into them. Yeah. And he just uh, he got replaced by some other guy they found in the onion field. <laughs> I enjoy the onions. That is, um, if you're not Australian, 90% of Australian politics is onions and how fast you can scull a beer at the cricket. That's a good point. Mm. Uh, my final note for this episode is that when everything goes wrong for Burns, he encourages people to work harder, uh, his campaign team to work harder to fix the problem, and he tells Smithers to go and boil some coffee. It's a nice little detail <laughs> showing that Burns does not know how coffee's made. That's true. We find out in Home of the Smithers much later on that that uh, Burns has no idea. How no to make idea. Comma, uh, no coffee, idea comma coffee. How to make comma coffee? Yeah, comma 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 coffee. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> the other thing, <laughs> sure. The other thing that struck me about this episode is this is what episode I want to say 105 that we've watched. Uh, how many of those episodes? Are you lying down in the middle of this podcast? Yes. Hang Am on. I keeping you up? Just give me a couple of seconds of silence so I can move the mic. Alright, I'm now lying down. Alright. Uh, <laughs> how many episodes now have ended with Marge lying in bed comforting Homer over something that was not really the focus of the episode. Because this ends with mm. Mr. Burns tells Homer that you know his life is forfeit, he's going to ruin him. Mm. And then Marge tells him, oh, you've got very simple wishes. Nobody can take those away from you. I mean, this episode was not really about Homer going through something yeah, and Marge needing to be supportive of him. If anything, Homer was the unsupportive one in this episode, and Marge is the one who should be given some level of respect and comfort at the end. Absolutely. I suppose the interesting thing that uh, about this is that when we got to the end of the episode, you asked me that question, how many episodes have ended like this? And I did nothing to find out how many episodes so far have ended like that. Uh, so I still don't know, but I'm get, I'm saying it's a very high percentage. It's at least and, three, I think, because we had there was the the last episode of the season where Homer worries that he's an idiot. Yes, there was the Bigfoot one. Yes, when it happens. One. There might have been others. I don't know, mm. but it is odd. Mm. 
It is odd that Homer constantly needs reassurance and comforting in the episodes where Marge is primarily the one going through something. Yeah. Um, was ending TV shows with, like, a final summary conversation in bed, was that a particularly early 90s TV trope? Well, every episode of Cheers would end with all of the members of Cheers in bed together uh, saying, so what did we learn today, gang? I honestly have no idea if this is a jape or not, because I've never seen any episodes of Cheers. <laughs> well, um, Ted Danson would turn to Woody Harrelson in bed, and he'd say, Hey, it's me, Ted Danson. How are you going, Woody? It's me, Ted Danson. And uh, Woody Harrelson would look him square in the eye. And say, I'm Woody. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Yeah, exactly. He would say that. And then Matthew McConaughey would turn around and he'd say, It's like we're living in somebody else's uh, dream. Time is a flat circle. And Woody Harrelson would say to him, you got to stop saying shit like that, man. No, you've gone into... Um, um, that TV show. Do you want me to give you a clue? Please. All right. So the TV show, uh, I'll give you like a little, this will be hard to get, but I'll give you a little like acting out a scene that might happen. Oh, sick. <laughs> okay. I'm into this. All right. So, all right, all right, all right. It's me. That's Matthew, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. It's me, Matthew McConaughey. I got some detective work to do. I'm going to do that detective work. And I'm going to stay true to who I am. True These are the two parts of who I am. I'm going to do detective work and be true while I investigate The Sopranos. <laughs> so Un- which TV show is that? Unbreakable Detective Schmidt. Unbreakable Detective Schmidt. Uh, incorrect. Oh. It was, um, it was 30 Rock. Oh. Yeah. Oh, they're both Tina Fey shows. Uh, yeah, that was the connection. Fuck. Yeah. Oh, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, it was all there all along. <laughs> you just have to put the pieces together. You have to be like a detective. Truly. What, what like in like in L.A. Noir? Uh, a little bit like L.A. Noir, yes. You know, I have a much fonder memory of that video game than I should. Yeah? Like, I have, I have just like, ever, sometimes I think about it going, man, that was a good game. It what? was a good game. Was it? Yeah. Oh. No, like genuinely, that was a good game. Made by Team Bondi. Oh, yeah. Here in Australia. Well, then, in that case, I find myself in the weird position where I thought that I remember the game as being good and I naturally assumed that I was being, that I was wrong in that, that memory and therefore I've been discrediting a game that is actually good. I feel more weird than, about that. More than once. Or maybe it was just once. It might have been twice. I, because I work as a games journalist, I have met some game developers. Sure. And there have been times where I have met people who worked on L.A. Noir while I've been a bit drunk. And I have said to them, hey, your game was really good. And I say that genuinely. I'm a bit of an arsehole. I don't like a lot of games. So you know this is a real compliment. I thought your game was genuinely good. And how does that go down? Generally pretty well, although I tend to oversell it a bit, frankly. Ah. So I think uh, we should probably wrap up this episode of Pods in the Key, etc. Uh, oh. I was going to jump in and finish it, and then you just bailed on etc. It's done. So season two has been really fucking good so far, I think. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Do you know what's next in season two? Uh, let's see. What happens next? Uh, I think there is the episode I where... I sprung that on you. With, that was a question without notice. I think it's the episode where Lisa dies and the rest of the series is a death dream. Sick. And then after that, there is the one, uh, Billy and the Clonosaurus, I think is after that, where... um. Oh, that's the one yeah, that... Sam Neill, Lord Dern. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Newman from Seinfeld. All right, so that has been uh, episode 10. Hey, speaking of Newman from Seinfeld, do you reckon that we should do a trilogy movie series where Newman from Seinfeld um, becomes a vigilante hero that a town doesn't necessarily want, but it's the one that they need, and we call it The Wayne Knight? Uh, the longer the longer that went, the more certain I was that the punchline would be disappointing. <laughs> and then we have the way night rises and the way night returns. 
Jerry, Jerry, where is she? <laughs> Which who was that an impression of? That was me trying to do Newman, <laughs> but like a, a frenzied Newman. Hello, Newman. That'll do. All right, so that was episode 10. Uh, <laughs> Hello, Newman. So Hello, thanks Jerry. for listening, everyone. We are on Twitter at <laughs> Key Springfield. Key Springfield. I assume by now I will have made a Facebook page as of recording. I have not, but sure. uh, by the time you're hearing this, it's just about two months after right now. So mm-hmm. I probably will have done that at some point. Uh, we're probably not anywhere else. Uh, find us on Twitter. All the links to everything are on there. I said the links. You're already listening to the podcast. So already you have those links, I you've, suppose. You've done well to get here. Yeah. So I have been James. I am J-I-C-K-L-E on Twitter. And you are... Uh, I have been and will continue to be Nick Ibis on the Twitter. All right. So, uh, woozer wuzzle to all of you. And um, to all, a good night. Where is she, Jerry? <laughs> Says nothing like <laughs> we night. <laughs> I've got a note here saying California Games was good. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> I wanted to. I just wanted to mention how good it is. thought you had during the episode. (laughs) I wrote six notes and one of them is, have you played Atari? California Games was good. (laughs) I don't understand how to do this podcast.